From the concert halls to the juke joints, from churches to festivals in the fields, welcome to another episode of Bill Street Caravan, celebrating the sounds of Memphis for more than 20 years. Heard around the globe on NPR Worldwide. Major funding for Bill Street Caravan is provided by the AutoZone Corporation and Memphis Tourism. Hi, I'm your co-host, Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Jared Boyd. This week on Bill Street Caravan, we have a special performance of Big Stars Third, featuring Jody Stevens and Friends. Grammy-nominated blues man Guy Davis will be with us to deliver an installment of the Blues Hall of Fame, an exploration of the lives of the pioneers and innovators enshrined the Blues Hall of Fame here in Memphis, Tennessee, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. That's all coming up right now on Bill Street Caravan. Hey, Pat. Hey, JB. This week, we've got Memphian and longtime friend of the show, Jody Stevens, performing selections from Third, a coveted album among fans of his former band, Big Star. Like Big Star's first two releases, Third has garnered much of its critical and commercial success over time since its original release in the 1970s. But unlike those first two albums, the aptly titled Third album almost didn't see the light of day at all. Yeah, the sessions that will become third were recorded at Arden Studios as 1974 rolled into 1975. And it's a complicated history, but I'm sure you might be able to imagine that at the time when Stax's financial despair resulted in an effective black hole in Memphis's music industry, the album's tapes changed hands before their eventual commercial release in 1978. As the genre of power pop began to take shape in the 1980s and 90s, Several bands with far more favorable impressions in the musical marketplace, such as R.E.M., Placebo, and The Bangles, the phenomenon has helped Big Star, and this particular record remain relevant in today's musical landscape. That's why Big Star drummer Jody Stevens has been able to rally talents like R.E.M.'s Mike Mills, the D.B.'s Chris Stamey, Mitch Easter, Django Haskins, and more to perform the album along with them. The All-Star group was able to make their review of the album a reality once again here in Memphis, with a superb string accompaniment by the Memphis Symphony Orchestra. While Stevens is obviously thrilled at the prospect of interpreting his music for new fans and big star devotees alike, the initial idea for the stage show originated with Stamey, who collaborated frequently with big star frontman Alex Chilton after the group dissolved. As Stamey was charting down a path of memorializing unsung works of his musical heroes, he landed on Big Star's third and started putting a plan in action for bringing the album to life once again on stage. It took some doing, but he was eventually able to get Jody and Ardent Studios' John Fry on board. With Carl Marsh's help, they were able to use the record's master recordings to arrange charts for the album's tunes, so that revolving door of music veterans that exist today can play along with the album. The whole thing finally came along in 2010. And if those charts serve their purpose, we might be in store for a quite a long future of Big Star-inspired live performances, as interested musicians continue to honor the album in their own way. The show has traveled to cities all over the U.S. in the last decade, but you might imagine that the experience is given an extra layer of meaning when performed in front of a hometown crowd just miles away from the studio where the album was recorded. Let's take a listen. Here's Big Star's third and more, live on Bill Street Caravan.
Thank you very much. Intuitions like she didn't stop. 
Here's more from Big Star's third, live on Bill Street Caravan. Marsh, ladies and gentlemen. Child, will you come? 
That was Big Star's third, live on Bill Street Caravan. We'll be back with more music from the tribute to the iconic album in just a bit. Up next, Grammy-nominated bluesman Guy Davis takes us through the life histories of the pioneers and innovators enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. This segment is brought to you by the Blues Foundation, and it's also available as a standalone podcast through iTunes. Alberta Hunter sat across the hospital room from my bed. She looked old, slender, and positively vital. She wore her hair straightened and tied up in a braided crown. Gold hoop earrings matched her thin gold bracelets that jingled as she pointed a long red fingernail at me. I've never had no blues about no man in my life, honey, Alberta said. She sat relaxed, her legs crossed, her eyes twinkling. And I've seen them all, she chuckled. Indeed, as I'd find out. In Memphis, W.C. Handy marched past her house on Beale Street. In Chicago, she sang in a gangster cabaret with King Oliver and Louis Armstrong backing her up. In New York, she sang on records with Fats Waller behind her. In London, she shared the stage every night for a year with Paul Robeson. Alberta even performed during Britain's celebration for the coronation of King George VI. And then she walked away from it, exited stage right, left no forwarding address. For the next 17 years, she worked as a nurse in this hospital and scarcely spoke of her previous life. That's what she was doing in my room, on her night off, no less. I'd gotten rushed to the hospital a few days back with a burst appendix. I woke up from surgery and saw this little old lady in neatly starched whites beside the bed. And when she hummed a tune, she swung like a whole band. I told her how I dig the blues. She chuckled. Alberta took special care of her patients. She kept everyone on clean, dry sheets in clean, fresh clothes. She snuck us extra food and Coca-Colas. One night, I raged with fever, and she smuggled in an old remedy. She crushed up jimson weed and peach tree leaves, mixed them with vinegar in a sink. She soaked a handkerchief in it and laid that across my eyes. It smelled like socks, but Alberta's cool touch and attention settled me down. My grandmother cured my headache with this, Alberta said. She bathed me in a zinc washtub and traced the three moles on my foot. She told my mama, this one's a wanderer. That was the first I'd heard of Alberta's life. She had me hooked. Come on up some night, my castle's rocking. No modern medicine or ancient superstition made me feel better than listening to her. I soon figured out I had a legend on my ward. One sunny afternoon in Chicago, young Alberta went for a drive with a piano player named Lovey Austin. Lovey was a take-charge kind of person. She had escaped from Tennessee and totally remade herself in Chicago, renamed herself and everything. Now she led her own band. Lovey had men working for her. Lovey had the interior of her car upholstered in leopard skin to match her riding clothes. Alberta never learned to drive, and Lovey drove like she hadn't been taught. Lovey clasped a cigarette between her teeth, sat back cool and calm, and flew. Alberta got nervous and started singing, making up words to put her mind somewhere else. Gee, but it's hard to love someone when that someone don't love you. I'm so disgusted, heartbroken too. I got the downhearted blues. 
Lovey said, oh, that's wonderful, honey. So Alberta tossed out another rhyme. Got the world in the jug, stopper in my hand. And if you want me, you must come under my command. Now that line had to be written by a woman who never got the blues from a man. Downhearted Blues officially was Alberta and Lovey's, but it became a classic thanks to another lady from Tennessee. The song practically made Bessie Smith. Back in the hospital room, Alberta said, I laugh when I read these little books about the blues. I don't recall seeing them blind boys with their guitars up on stage with me in Oslo or Stockholm. She began to trail off her heightened effect. Copenhagen, London, the Palladium, Paris, Cairo. Maybe I'm just getting old. I was back in the 20s and 30s, baby. <sighs> I didn't see them white boys with me on Broadway. That's why I sang the blues. I never heard of any of them until these little white boys started writing the history of the blues. I asked her if she deserved a bigger part. I've been under too much scrutiny in my life, baby. It ain't worth it. My privacy means everything. As my days in the hospital wore on and our conversation deepened, I figured out why she had never had the blues about a man. Her first true love was named Lottie. They met in Chicago at one of those all-night cabarets with Louis Armstrong and King Oliver blowing. Lottie invited Alberta to visit her in New York and jotted down the address. Alberta soon showed up at Lottie's home. The place was a mansion, probably the biggest in Harlem. Alberta marched up to ring the bell. The front door opened, and there stood Lottie's uncle, Bert Williams, only the most famous black entertainer in the world. Lottie here? Alberta asked. Mr. Williams walked away without speaking, but left the door open a crack. It all happened fast, like real true love. Alberta and Lottie bought an apartment together on 148th Street up Sugar Hill. To make it official, the last thing Alberta needed to do was tell her mama. Mama, Miss Laura, had no real problems with people living differently. Miss Laura used to work in Memphis on Gayoso Street washing clothes in a body house. She said everything she knew about manners and social nicety came from those sporting women. Miss Laura didn't judge. Until she got to Sugar Hill. Miss Laura barely took one step into her daughter's apartment. She had traveled by train from Chicago, but saw Lottie and turned right back around. I don't like New York, she told Alberta. But Miss Laura soon came back for good. Her husband died, leaving her without a provider. She needed me, and I made enough money to take care of her, Alberta said. Looking after Mama meant I had no choice but to live my life on the go. We already faced discrimination from being black, then our family's disapproval. I couldn't portray my true self on stage. There was no escape. The secret kept me on the run. I got a mind to ramble, ooh, but I don't know where to go. No man ever gave Alberta the blues, but still, she had them. She and Lottie obtained passports and set sail across the Atlantic. Their old friend, Bricktop, from the early nights in Chicago, set up a club in Paris. Brick came from West Virginia. 
and could be as crude and dirty as an old coal miner, Alberta told me. Brick would call from the street into my window. What you witches doing up there? Except she didn't say witches. Not only did French people worship blacks, but our private life was nothing to hide. In Paris, we took on the flavor of Paris. We felt at ease in cafe society as well as in the joints where the waitresses picked up their tips without using their hands. Alberta corresponded with all the black papers to describe the race situation throughout the world for folks back home. She leaked back word of a romance, an engagement to a baron. I asked her about him. A total fabrication, honey. We needed a divorce in the background to keep people from talking. Being engaged to a fairy tale prince did the same thing without hurting anyone. Just a little slickology. The only problem she and Lottie faced was that no one on the continent knew how to do black hair. That was the only problem until Hitler came. The U.S. government required its citizens on temporary work visas to return to America. Bricktop barely got out before France fell to the Nazis. Their friend Josephine Baker stayed and joined the underground resistance. Alberta did the next best thing. She signed on with the USO. She spent much of the next decade until the end of the Korean War, flying from battle zone to battle zone, strapped to a parachute in a bumpy, noisy troop transport. She gave the boys her all, or her almost, anyway. Some nights, she stepped on stage in freezing temperatures, soldiers holding their flashlights to illuminate her. She wore her tightest, most shimmering gown, no overcoat and nothing underneath. Everyone sacrificed in the war, she laughed. Those boys might get killed the next day. Not long after she returned to New York for good, Miss Laura passed away. When she died, I could finally live how I always wanted, settle down to regular life with my loved ones. Alberta's generosity and trust lifted my spirit even as the pain and swelling in my abdomen got worse and my temperature jumped and dropped. She never once asked me to keep quiet. Didn't she know I could turn the spotlight back on her, tell the world she was a star, share her true story? Finally, I had to ask, are you worried I'm going to get out of here and tell your secret? She looked at me with pity. I said, I mean, that's your deathbed confession. She said, yeah, honey, but this ain't my deathbed. Look what the sun has done. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org.
Bill Street Caravan has brought the sounds of Memphis to public radio airwaves for more than 20 years. And now you can see what we've been talking about. Check out our series of digital shorts through our website or go to iListenToMemphis.com. I Listen to Memphis is about Memphis music today, the people who make it, and the places and culture that fuel it. iListenToMemphis.com. AutoZone is proud to support Bill Street Caravan and many other arts organizations that strengthen the greater Memphis community. Parts are just part of what we do. AutoZone.com. Bill Street Caravan is also supported by awards from Memphis Travel, Tennessee Arts Commission, Arts Memphis, and Tennessee Tourism. TennesseeVacation.com. The soundtrack of America was made in Tennessee. We're back, and if you're just tuning in, we're listening to a live performance of Big Star's Third. The album sessions were wrapped up in 1975, but it took three years to find a release on PVC Records in 1978. And of course, we don't mean any harm at all when we say that the album's release was met with a bit less fanfare than it is today. I mean, it's all right if we're stating historical fact here. We don't have to mince words. The album had a hard time finding a label home, but it was picked up as an import. And that's okay. Big Star fans found it. And you know, because history is a very long story, today the album is regarded as a classic. Funny enough, we have ways to make up for mistakes in cases such as these. Rolling Stone has heralded the record as one of its 500 greatest records of all time. Several reviewers, including Robert Criscow, gave it perfect or near-perfect marks. It's a work that stands out here in Memphis, a city that's produced Hot Buttered Soul, The Dock of the Bay, and several other albums that were more immediately reverent in their time. It's a story that you have to love because it shows that these sort of things are truly never quite said and done. You never know who might be laying in the wait for an opportunity to love your craft. So there you go, folks. Don't give up out there. Here's more from Big Star's third, live on Bill Street Caravan. Plateau. You just feel things Unaware But I know 
more from Big Star's Third, live on Bill Street Caravan.
Kyle or good ass.
friends. That was Big Star's third live on Bill Street Caravan. We invite you to also go check out another live version of this record. Thank you, friends. Big Star's third live is available on Amazon. Also, you can look for the original album, which is available just like Bill Street Caravan on all streaming platforms. Special thanks to our supporters, AutoZone, Memphis Tourism, Arts Memphis, Tennessee Arts Commission, and Tennessee Tourism for their support in making Bill Street Caravan possible. We like to remind our listeners to please show your support for public broadcasting. You won't find programming like this anywhere else. You can find Bill Street Caravan on all the social media outlets. Do you love Memphis music? Tell us why and use the hashtag #IListenToMemphis. Go to our website at BillStreetCaravan.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter to find out where the caravan is going to be next. And you can always keep up with Bill Street Caravan via our podcast that's available through iTunes. We'll be back next week, so until then, I'm Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Jared Boyd. And you've been listening to the sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Bill Street Caravan.